Welcome to The Buzz. I'm Christopher Conover. Copper is one of the five C's of Arizona's economy, but is that changing? This week, we take a look at the longtime economic driver in the state. Southern Arizona landscape is dotted by copper mines, but the mine that is most often talked about is one that doesn't exist, the Rosemont Mine. The proposed mine on the slopes of the Santa Rita Mountains south of Tucson has spent years in the headlines in and out of court. This week was no different. The latest legal challenges brought by environmentalists and three Native American tribes say HUD Bay, the Canadian company that owns the mine, is violating the federal 404 clean water permit. HUD Bay disagrees, and to stop that suit, this week it turned the permit in to the federal government. HUD Bay is currently clearing and grading land it owns in the Santa Rita Mountains in an area it calls Copper World. Company officials turned down our request for a taped interview about their work in the Santa Ritas and the lawsuits, but they did say in a phone call that the 404 permit is not needed because they're on private land and not dumping into waterways, something mine opponents dispute. Company officials also said as a result they only requested the permit as a show of good faith, and their vision is to have the most environmentally progressive mine in the world. The group Save the Scenic Santa Ritas has fought the proposed Rosemont mine for decades. Gail Hartman, the group's president, and Stu Williams, the Save the Scenic Santa Ritas executive director, sat down with us. Hartman began our conversation recounting some of the recent legal history. As you may recall, in 2019, there was a case before Judge Soto here in in Tucson, in which we won, he agreed with us that the, the mining company did not have the right to dump their waste and tailings on Forest Service land, which is kind of the east side of the Santa Ritas. So what Hud Bay did is they looked around and said, decided they would take a more careful look at some of their holdings on the ridgeline and the west side, uh, which have been that these, these are, it is private land, and the uh, mining companies have had this for many, many decades, actually before there was a national forest. Different mining companies have, have held the land. But these guys were realizing that they weren't going to get anywhere. We don't think they were anyway on the east side. So they looked around. They started doing a lot of drilling and decided without too much evidence, as far as we can tell, that they have enough ore to dig on the west side. And so they started to work uh, largely because they're on private land. And I think it is it is actually quite scary, has us very concerned. You say it's on private land. You're worried about this. Well, there are various facets. For one thing, it's the the discharge and fill of uh, to to the ephemeral washes, which have a nexus, a significant connection to the Santa Cruz River waters of the United States. Also, there's the issue of Tucson Electric Power having a permit, environmental permit renewed. That's currently uh, being evaluated by the Arizona Corporation Commission. Then there's also the issue of road access, which is via Santa Rita Road. And that is a, a sort of a jointly used road with rights of way across private land, but also across Bureau of Land Management land. And they do have a permit with the Arizona Department of Water Resources to pump groundwater 
so they have some of their mechanisms in place. If as for stopping it on private land, they challenge us that we have no recourse, that we cannot challenge that. But because there's a nexus to the washes, to navigable wa to waters of the U.S., and because they're relying on public infrastructure, a BLM road, there actually is a state public stakeholder arguments to be made. The tailings, the uh, waste rock, the potential for a heap leach facility on the west side, this copper world side of the mountain range. These are all, these all have a tremendous air quality, water quality, consumptive water use impacts. A lot of people don't realize, and it is kind of crazy, that in Arizona, mines can uh, drill for water as deep as they want, uh, and they can get as much as they want. They have to get a permit, but it's what's called a much must issue permit. So it's just a piece of paper. And right now it's, uh, they are uh, have an allocation of 6,000 acre feet a year. It, it's unfortunately in the state of Arizona, you may have heard this before, but we like to say that the easiest place to mine in the universe is Nevada. And the second easiest place to mine is Arizona. Uh, Arizona is kind of living in the past when mining was considered an essential part of the economy. It really no longer is. Also, Christopher, significant number of acres from the west side up to the ridgeline and down to the east side to, to we're arguing that the project is basically the, the west side plus the east side. They're trying to ascertain that these are independent projects, but there clearly will be impacts on forest land, public land, that is a wildlife corridor that's a recreational corridor. The Arizona Trail is just excited a couple miles to the east on the Rosemont side of the ridge. So there is there are huge public impacts, externalities, uh, air, water, recreation, wildlife, viewscape from this project, not to mention light noise going 24-7 and road impacts on scenic road 83. For, for the next 18 to 20 years, the project lifespan as they see it. Is there ever a point where you just want to throw up your hands and say, forget it, we've been doing this for 20 years, now they're actually doing stuff on private land, we're never actually going to win this. We're just a small organization. Well, I think we can win still. And what they're doing now, although it's ugly, it, it's not hugely consequential. They aren't digging any big pits. They're not dynamiting. And by the way, the ridgeline of the Santa Rita's, the northern ridgeline, will go down, would go down if they succeed in what they're doing. People need to recognize that there will be dynamiting out there and that ridgeline will disappear. The Santa Rita's will look very different than they do today. And these are because we still have on the books an 1872 law, you know, 1872, when President Grant was in office, that is controls mining in this country. There have been lots of efforts to try to reform that, but so far it hasn't changed. And so, no, we're not ready to give up by any means. And, and you need to know too, as many people do, we have a lot of support. Pima County, the city of Tucson, Congressman Grijalva, Congresswoman Kirkpatrick, a lot of tribal groups, just a lot of people and a huge number of locals that understand this and are very concerned about it. But at the point right now, it is kind of unnerving and I know some of this sounds a little wonky when we start talking about arcane laws, but it's really about 
the impacts this is going to have on us in southern Arizona. What's it going to do to our water? What's it going to do to our air? What's it going to do to wildlife? What's it going to do to the ridgeline? These are things that people care about here. And we really feel that this Canadian company just needs to go back to Canada and leave the, leave the mountain alone. As you mentioned, Gail, Hud Bay is a Canadian company, but many companies have owned parts of what is now being referred to as Copper World over decades of time. If Hud Bay finally gives up and goes back to Canada, as you said, is there anything to prevent another company from coming in? And here we go again, reset the table, turn turn it back 20 years and start again. Yes, I think there is a solution. I mean, we, we have an end game in mind, and it would be that if these guys, and it's, it is mostly guys, don't get their permits, then they don't have much of anything. They have some land, but it is worth a lot less. And so the goal would be to see that this land is the mining claims are extinguished and that the land becomes public property, either owned by the Forest Service or Pima County, but without the possibility of mining in the future. And this has happened in a few other places in the country, not a lot, but it has happened. And this is a place where we think mining is definitely not the best use and it's, it's really not wise at all. And it's unfortunate you know, that this, it has been owned by, as you said, many mining companies in the past, but interestingly enough, the big boys locally, Grupo Mexico and, you know, used to be Phelps Dodge and other mining companies, they were never, Asarco, they were never interested in this because they could see that there was, there were a lot of difficulties. There's no place to put the waste and tailings except on public land. There was going to be a lot of public pushback. And so I think these Canadians, when they ended up getting this, they really didn't know what they were getting into. But now they are trying to play hardball. And of course, there's an Asarco mine, not right across the street, but right there in Green Valley. Correct. And people from Green Valley all the time, of course, are complaining to Pima County. It's always violating air air quality regulations. And Pima County does the best it can there with them, I guess. This would make it a lot worse. the, The west side is drier than the east side of the Santa Ritas. There'll be a lot of dust a lot of air pollution. It'll be really bad if you have asthma, anything of that sort, and happen to live in one of those nearby communities. It will not It will not be fun. And as Stu said, they project 20 years. I don't know if it would be that long because I don't think there's that much copper there, frankly. But they would be operating 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and there would be blasting and lot, lots of earth being moved and you know, not a, not a fun scene to be around. It's inconceivable, quite honestly, Christopher, that You've got, again, under the auspices of a 150-year-old antiquated law in a metropolitan area with a million-plus residents, many of whom move here specifically for outdoor recreation, quality of life, beautiful views, mountain ranges to the four cardinal directions, to, to try to somehow assert that you have the high ground in leveling a mountain range to, to, to extract ore to basically to stop deliver for smelting offshore, offshore suppliers, non-U.S. suppliers, and of course the shareholders are non-U.S. shareholders. That was Save the Scenic Santa Rita's president, Gail Hartman, and the group's executive director, Stu Williams. Again, Hud Bay, the company hoping to dig the mines in the Santa Rita's, did not agree to an interview with us. You're listening to The Buzz. I'm Christopher Conover. Mining is part of Arizona's history, and the copper it yields is considered a driver of the state economy. 
But times are changing, which raises the question, is mining still economically something that's driving the state? To answer that, we turn to Dr. Brad Ross, the interim director of the University of Arizona School of Mining and Mineral Research. Well, the economic future of mining in Arizona is actually very bright uh, and for a, a number of reasons. But the most important reason is, is you got to mine copper where it's found. And copper is really prevalent here in Arizona. You know, historically, we were the basically the number one copper producing area in the world, actually, not just not just in the United States, but in the olden days, it was really uh, the worldwide place to be that we still have tremendous copper reserves. And what happens is that as our demand for copper continues to grow and it's growing significantly right now, uh, that means that you have to mine it where it's found. And, and that Arizona is one of those places. And, and, you know, you think about uh, how the demand for copper is growing. I, I don't think most people really realize how much it is. You know, I, I was born in the 1950s, right? And since 1950 to today, uh, our demand for new copper, not just replacement copper or recycled copper or new copper, is 10 times as much as in 1950. You know, that, that's really an incredible number. Since the, the 2000, it's more than double. And, and the reason why it's so great is because since 1950, we have three, more than three times as many people on Earth. And each person utilizes more than three times as much copper. And that's because our technology is changing, electrification of the, of, uh, the West and, the, and most of the world. Uh, now, we went in, then we went into the computer age, and now we're, we're into the renewable energy age and all these different things. And so, so the, the demand, our society's demand for copper is growing and it's growing significantly. Arizona almost has to be one of those places where it comes from. Yeah, it's not just pennies we're talking about making uh, out of copper anymore. <laughs> well, as a matter of fact, that they, 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 they actually make pennies out of a lot of other things other than copper anymore. So, uh, but, you know, it, it's really hard to replace copper for a number of reasons, mostly because of its, if, of its pro pro properties where, you know, it really is uh, an amazing metal. At the end of the day, it's, it's relatively plentiful compared to a lot of metals, uh, and and you can produce it, but it does a great job of of conducting electricity. And and now they're even looking at it. How does it change things? Such as with COVID, you actually can use it to reduce the amount of the virus on surfaces and such. And so, all of those things actually just increases our demand for it environmentalists and others will say, but mining is polluting and, and there are a lot of problems with it. Has mining changed with the technology or is that just a fact? Mining is polluting. Well, look, at mining is always going to have an impact. Uh, you, you really can't have, you can't build a society and civilization without having impact. So there's, there's no question that mining has some impact. However, it, it's, it's completely different from the way it was when, when I started in the industry. I started 
uh, in the mining industry in the late 70s, actually, when I was just uh, came out of high school in reality. And it was just after the, the new laws that were passed around the Clean Air Act, the Clean Water Act, NEPA, and some other things like this. And, you know, mining had been around since the dawn of civilization, right? Uh, when, when you first pick up a rock for either protection or for building your home or anything, uh, mining was there from the very start, right? And so, you know, for eons, uh, mining was, the, the only purpose of mining was just to, to uh, build our civilization. And it was an economic driver and things like that. Uh, but, you know, our population grows so much that we get into the, the uh, 20th century, middle of the 20th century, and, and all of a sudden there's a lot of different impacts. We see, uh, you know, the Cuyahoga River uh, burning and we see uh, the fact that Los Angeles, you can't breathe the air anymore. And we change the laws and, and the laws for mining changed as well. And, and so mining's had to adjust to that. And so how do we actually mine without polluting the water? If you do that now, that's against the law. Uh, how do we reduce the, the dust and the impact of the, our air pollution? That, that's also a legal issue now. That, that didn't always exist. And, and so mining's had to adjust to that. And, and so we do things now such as when you mine, most of the mines in Arizona, for instance, don't allow any water to come off their property. They recycle it, they reuse it, they do other things, they pump it out so that they can use it over and over again until basically it's, it's, uh, it's evaporated or other ways that uh, you utilize that water. And so that would not have happened when I started in the, in the industry. Uh, you didn't worry about those types of things. Mines historically were big employers. I'm sure when you started in the mining industry, you know, lots and lots of people employed in the mines. But with technology, are now fewer people employed in mines? There are a lot fewer people employed in mines because, yes, our, our technology changes, the size of our equipment changes. Uh, but uh, although there's fewer people the actual impact to our overall economy is tremendous. It's a smaller part. You know, if, if you take a look at, at the dollars that are spent for raw materials as a percentage of our economy, it actually goes down. But if you take a look at the impact of, you know, you can't actually do anything in our economy without minerals, uh, the impact is actually greater. And so it creates this kind of different perspectives of, well, I don't really see mining anymore. I don't have uncles or aunts or fathers or friends that are employed in mining, uh, but we still actually need the materials. You're a professor here at the university in the School of Mining. What are you teaching kids these days? And are you still getting a lot of kids that want to get into mining? Well, we need actually a lot more kids to get into mining because... If you think about how we have to change, the demand is continuing to grow. Uh, and our society expects us to do things differently. That means we need great people, innovative, willing to look at things differently to make the changes that we need to make. So, so we need more people uh, in, in the industry. 
but we do we do teach things differently. So so one of the classes that I teach is called engineering sustainable development, and and what this class is all about is about sustainability issues. So I I talk about renewable water, renewable power. How do you actually get those? Where does it come from? Uh, how do we do things differently? I talk about how do we interact with communities so that we take those into account, stakeholders, stakeholder engagements, outrage. Sometimes you end up with outrage. How do you uh, worry about transportation? One of the greatest issues of sustainability is actually transportation and how you move things from one place to another because that that just that act of transporting things can cause sustainability issues because it changes the impact in different areas. You bring different people in and, and you bring different goods and services in and, and there can be different competition than, than what you've had in the past. So all of those are sustainability issues that our engineers are required to take, mining engineers at least, are required to take as a part of their studies. I can certainly tell you that was not the case when I went to school. So, so we do learn a lot of different things. We do learn uh, about how reclamation and how you actually take care of the land and such. How do you try to minimize the impact? Again, we're not. We, it's really difficult to make the impact totally disappear. You really can't do that. But how do we minimize it? How do we make it so that uh, we don't have as large of negative impact as we had and yet still meet the demands we still have to find new materials we still have to produce them we still have to process them um, so we have to do all those and by the way we have to do it economically because our society also expects that that was dr brad ross the interim director of ua's school of mining and mineral research Mine tailings, those mountains of leftover material around mines, are often filled with things that are considered pollutants to local groundwater or air. Southern Arizona-based Auxilium Technology Group was founded by Dr. Abe Jalboot and three UA professors. They're hoping to change how the mining industry deals with tailings. You know, our goal as a company is to reduce uh, tailings. So basically, tailings are is what's left over after all economic materials extracted from uh, from mine rock. And basically what you're left over is um, a composite of uh, solids and liquids. So basically so what we're trying to do is we're trying to um, neutralize these different uh, products that these tailings contain and try to create useful products and different byproducts from them. You said neutralize some of the products that the tailings contain. Tailings have always been known to be some pretty nasty stuff. Yeah, so they contain a lot of uh, potentially acid-generating components. So what we do is we, we neutralize these using um, CO2-absorbing microorganisms. And from there, we're able to actually produce interesting you know, products from the mining industry react. Also um, extract remaining metals from these uh, products and even produce interesting things such as uh, green hydrogen, uh, potable water, and uh, even uh, we're developing new eco-friendly uh, building materials from these same tailings themselves. So by the time you finish processing your tailings, you get a fully neutralized product that uh, is completely, it's, it's benign at that point. Those of us who've seen mines have seen the big just mountains of tailings. 
I would assume you're also reducing the amount that's left. Correct. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that one of the main things that, that we try to do is, you know, uh, trying to not only minimize the amount of tailings that are produced from, from uh, or the, the volume of the tailings themselves, but also contribute to decarbonization using these same tailings. So you're not only reducing waste, but you're also minimizing the uh, CO2 footprint of the mining operation itself. Now, your company has been named one of two finalists in a contest to come up with things to do with the tailings. So BHP put out a worldwide call to identify the leading solutions for tailings repurposing. And uh, we made it through the first initial phase and the second phase, and now we're in the finals. So at the end of this this piloting phase that we're in, BHP wants to implement the solution um, at their, you know, at their different sites, but also more importantly, I think, ignite the tailings repurposing industry. What's the project you all are working on at this point for the contest? Right now we're in the piloting phase, so we're going to pilot our, our process to basically take um, this input feed of fresh copper tailings and produce, neutralize these tailings and also generate all our different products from the tailings themselves and deliver a final clean um, raw material that can be used uh, as a building material. And of course, building materials, always people are looking for more sustainable ways of doing it. Some would argue that mining's not a sustainable way of doing it, but you are turning the tailings into something. Yeah, so the, the final tailings can be used. Uh, we created a new, uh, what we call a geofoam. So it's basically a, um, a new kind of construction material that can also even be used for carbonation. So for carbon um, sequestration and different applications as well. And um, and I think that in addition to that, we're also able to produce, you know, like I mentioned before, some interesting energy products as well from from these tailings and also clean water. So I think that that a holistic approach is, uh, it's I think, is really what the mining industry is, is looking for. And our process utilizes 100% of the input feed. So we leave no waste behind. So when you say you leave no waste behind, does that mean no more mounds of tailings if you guys are, are in a mine doing your work? Potentially, if we're able to process the full volume. So, um, you know, but at least in the initial feed for what we're, you know, for like, let's say one, if we get one ton of input feed, we're basically leaving not all that input is, is utilized for something. So that's uh, kind of interesting and unique about this process. That was Dr. Abe Jalboot, one of the founders of Auxilium Technology Group. And that's the buzz for this week. You can find all our episodes online at azpm.org and subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for The Buzz Arizona. We're also on the NPR One app. Samantha Larned helped produce this week's show. Jim Blackwood is our production engineer, and our music is by Enter the Haggis. I'm Christopher Conover. Thanks for listening. Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.